0: Bill Moore Church, how are we doing today? Yes, it is good to be in the house of the Lord with you today, whether you're joining us here uh, in person or online. We're glad that you guys are here. I hope that you guys had an incredible Incredible Thanksgiving. I know that for many of you, you go from family to family, so you have multiple Thanksgiving meals uh, in one day, and that's like a hard thing to overcome. Uh, tomorrow's your day. Get back in shape, okay? We can do this. We're in this together, all right? Um, hey, uh, it's a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you today. My name is Jason Gaston. Uh, I'm back for week two. Uh, big shout-out to, uh, to Pastor Bruce for um, entrusting. It's a big thing. It really is uh, a big thing for a lead pastor of a church to entrust someone else uh, to teach from the pulpit that God has entrusted you to lead from. And so, uh, Pastor Bruce, I'm sure you're watching somewhere, so I just want to say thank you. You're the man. I love serving Jesus with you. Uh, Pastor Bruce, is uh, he's at home this weekend. He's not out of town. He's, he's at home. He's licking his wounds. It's been a tough year for him. Um, he, uh, he's, a, he's a sports fan of all things Texas, right? And so uh, his beloved Houston Astros couldn't quite pull off the dub against our uh, beloved Atlanta Braves. Amen. And... Uh, on top of that, there's uh, trade rumors now or talks of Car- Carlos Correa uh, going to the hated and dreadful Yankees, and so he's just really down on his luck. His Houston Texans are awful. Um, they're probably one of the worst football teams in the NFL, <clears throat> and, um, and he's a, you guys know that he loves Texas Tech football, right, and, or just all things Texas Tech and uh, they're pretty bad, too. And so um, it's just been tough for him. It's just been tough. And so, PB, we love you, man. We hope you're doing well. Anyway, hey, uh, well, I, um, I hope that you guys had a great Thanksgiving with family and friends. It really did. Uh, it felt great to be with family again, did it not? Like, just to and friends around the table just to gather again. For some of you, uh, you didn't get a chance to do that last year and, uh, or maybe even uh, last couple of years. And so I know it felt good to be with family. Um, if at any point during today's message you hear my voice crack... Like a middle school boy is because I, on the other hand, am living victoriously, unlike Pastor Bruce this weekend. I was at the NC State versus UNC football game where I screamed like a child all game until my wife nudged me and said, it's time to go before the game ended. I'm not bitter. It's okay. First John is where we're going to be today. You can go to open up your Bibles to the book of First John. We are in week 47 of Year of the Bible, 47. We are almost there. And uh, I hope that you guys, if you've been joining with us uh, throughout this whole journey, I hope that you have seen the thread, the storyline uh, of the gospel from Genesis and how we're going to see it really come into fruition uh, at the end uh, in Revelation. And Pastor Bruce will be back to, uh, to help us bring this train into the station and uh, and start in, in the new year uh, in a new series. It's been awesome. And today we're in 1 John chapter 1. We're going to be in verse 4. We're going to go in through chapter 2 in the first two verses. You guys ready to roll today? All right, great, me too. I'm excited about it. All right, April 14th, 1912, okay? April 14th, 1912 was not an ordinary night, all right? Something um, historic happened on the evening of April 12th, and it would go down as one of the most infamous infamous nights in the 1900s, okay? People would talk about April 14th, 1912, for decades and decades and decades, a young man by the name of Cyril Evans was at work aboard a ship named the Californian. Now, um, the Californian had left port in England and it was setting sail and it was going west uh, to the to America and it was on its voyage. Um, and Cyril Evans was on this ship, the Californian, and. Um, He was on board that ship, and he was a messenger, okay? He was a telegraphist. He would send back messages from the ship to other ships or back to shore. Now, when I say he would send back messages, I don't mean he would shoot a text hey, hope things are going well from the middle of the ocean because, well, this is a weird world and you can do that now, right? I don't know about y'all, I was born in the 80s, okay? So I was born in 1981 um, and uh, it's still weird to me that I can pick up a phone that's not connected to anything and dial and talk to somebody in another country. That's weird to me. For most of y'all, you're digital natives, you're like, oh, that's just normal. That's weird, Okay, that's crazy, the technology. All right, Cyril Evans did not have that technology. He was sending messages back via Morse code, right? Just constantly doing this, all right? Well, as he's aboard the Californian, they are making their way across the ocean, and all of a sudden, during the night, the ship comes to almost a complete halt. And he gets a message from the captain that says, hey, we have come to a crawl because there is ice in the water ahead. Icebergs, okay? Now, if you know much about ships and boats and icebergs, you know if those two things hit one another, it's a crash course to death, right? The trajectory of where you you are going is not good. And so Cyril took up his, his task of shooting out the message to other ships around him. Now, this is important because Cyril Evans wanted to warn the ship that was coming behind him that left from the port, going to the same place as him, of the danger that was in the water ahead. He's doing his job. And so, Cyril, this is where a lot of historians aren't really sure on all of the little bits and pieces on what happened, but what they do know is that Cyril Evans took his task seriously and he turned up the frequency. On his, um, on, his, uh, on his machine, because he wanted the ship that was coming behind it, literally in its wake, to be aware of the danger that was ahead. Now, a guy on the other ship was a guy by the name of Jack Phillips, okay? Jack Phillips uh, was the senior operator on the ship that was coming right in its wake. Now, Jack Phillips and his crew had had a long night, because they had been constantly sending messages back to shore, just absurd messages for all the rich people that were on the top level deck, whining and dining, carrying on about their life. And they were just bombarded with ridiculous messages that they had to send back to shore. Let them know. Had a steak for dinner. Great ship. This place is incredible. You wouldn't believe the experience that we're having. And so when Cyril Evans, on the ship ahead, dials up the frequency and it's received on the ship that Jack Phillips is on, they are annoyed at the message. Literally, annoyed. Annoyed. So much so that when they get on there, he sends a message to Cyril Evans that says, keep out and shut up. That's what he says. Get off the airwaves, you're clogging up our space. While the people on the top level are continuing about their journey. Now, if you know much about history, you know that that night would go down in infamy as the night That the ship that Jack Phillips was on would sink, thus killing almost 1,500 people with it. That ship, its name was the Titanic. That's exactly right. The Titanic sank. But here's the deal. The Titanic sank, ignoring the warning of those that had gone on before. It did not heed the most important message in its most dire hour. When you get to the book of First John, what you see is that the people of the um, of the context in which John, the writer, who also wrote First John, Second John, Third John, the Gospel of John, in Revelation, as he's writing this letter to what many would believe is like a network of churches all throughout Asia Minor. Think like modern day Turkey. And these people were being led astray by some false doctrines, okay? So their truth was getting out of proportion. That, honestly, if you look at the New Testament, a lot of the writings were written, right, in trying to help the people understand that some of the things that they're grabbing a hold of are full of error, right? Error is just truth out of proportion. It looks attractive, but there's just enough darkness in it to really just thwart the truth, to make it a little bit look a little bit different, and that 's what John was writing to this church he 's writing to warn them to let them know of what it looks like to have love for God, and then to assure them of what love of God looks like towards them. all right let 's see how this flushes itself out. First John chapter one we 're going to start in verse four, and i 'm going to read from 1 John one four we 're going to go all the way into chapter two. Verse 2. All right? Here we go. Chapter 1, verse 4. We are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. So John is suggesting that he has something for them that they need to know. And by them knowing it, he says, I find great joy in. There's great joy in your comprehending this truth. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and we now proclaim to you. That God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. When I read verse 7, by the way, I'm a product of like um, Christian music from the late 90s to early 2000s, and all I hear is DC talk, I want to be in the light. Anybody else? Okay, all right, just three of you, great, okay. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a what? A liar. Woo! That's some pretty strong language, is it not? And his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children... I, I love I love it when the writers of the New Testament letters really get this sense of like this love of a father towards the listener Right? There's just this, like, there's this deep necessity, like, I want you to hear this message. I want you to know it. Please, please know this truth. This truth is wrapped up in love. He said, "'My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father.'" Jesus Christ the righteous, that is the best news. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Today what we're going to do is we're going to unpack what John wanted the early church to see, and I want us to gain a few truths for us today as we continue on this journey of where we're going and maybe look at the warning that's ahead that could literally spare our souls Okay, there's an umbrella thought that's going on here in 1 John. I want you to write this down if you take notes, okay? The big picture of what John is trying to get his hearer to know is that God is the ultimate source of life. God is the ultimate source of life of life. He's writing, and he he says this. He says, I have a joy that's found in a message, and I'm praying that you would grasp this message fully. For us that grow up in a digital world, we're like, oh baby, here it comes. This big, really awesome, catchy statement. I'm going to save to my collection. I'm going to repost it. It's going to be epic. And this is what he says. He says, God is light. You're like, that's it? (laughs) Really? God is light. Like, really, John, what am I supposed to do with that? God is like, woo, you wooed me with that one, big boy. That was good. Man, you really, you really spoke to my soul. God is light. But when John makes the statement that God is light, he is communicating a depth of theology, a truth about God that the early church reader would fully grasp and fully understand. Okay? I'm getting ready to take a little bit of a theological deep dive. All right, everybody, take your hand, put your big boy pants on. We're gonna buckle up for just a second, okay? Can we do this? You guys ready? You good? Okay, all right, if, if we can teach algebra to middle schoolers, upon which I failed, we can teach theology to the church. Okay, here we go. All right, okay, when you look in the Bible, you see that the word light is used all throughout Scripture. In fact, it's used 275 different times from Genesis 1 all the way to the end in Revelation. 95 times it's used in the New Testament alone. Here, here, are a few, here are a few passages that describe light, okay? Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 36, verse 9. For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 20. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting Light, okay, he'll be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. There's something found in the light of God that brings about the life of his people. Micah chapter 7 verse 8, rejoice not over me, O my enemy, when I fall, I will rise, and when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me there. Even in the darkest crevices of my human experience, the light of God shines in and brings about joy and hope, something that even the enemy cannot trample and take away from the believer. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Bible, listen, this is good stuff here, okay? I need you to hang with me. The Bible says that joy, that hope, that life, one that the enemy cannot trample, starts with seeing God as light. For God to be light means that he is the source of perfect life and the source of perfect goodness, okay? If you press rewind on the VHS and you go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, It's recorded in the very, very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 that God created the physical world by saying, let there be light. So life in the beginning is found in the light of God. It is no coincidence then that when John opens up his gospel letter in the gospel of John, he says, in him, being Jesus, was life. And the life was the light of God. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not come over it. The darkness shall not overcome the light. Life and light, they are synonymous all throughout the Bible and all throughout John's letters. And John is announcing this theme. He said, the light has come, and life is found in him. True joy, true life is found in the light of God. Not only is he the light where pure life is found, but he's also the source, this is important, of perfect goodness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 said, Everything about him is right. God is right. He never does anything wrong. He is perfect in all that he is and all that he does. Have you ever met somebody and thought, they are the absolute most perfect human being on the planet? Anybody? If you're sitting next to your spouse, you should nudge them and be like, that's what I think about you, right? You thought, man, this person could do no wrong. And then you started living life with them. And then you realized, whoa. Oh, didn't see that coming. Um, I think I may have shared the story with you before, but when I was in college, I had the hots for this girl who ended up becoming my wife. Her name was Katie. And uh, Katie, um, I, had, the, I was like, had my eye on her in a Bible study, and, um, and I remember just thinking, man, I'm, I'm going to try to date that girl one day, and you know, I'm probably going to make her my wife. That's just how it's going to go down. And I chickened out. I would never like, really approach her. I would never go after her. And then one day, my, uh, my next tail beeps. That's right. I had a next tail. My next cell beeps, and uh, I pick it up, and my phone's ringing. I pick it up, and it's Katie. I'm like, oh, man, she is calling to ask me out. Let's go. I answer the phone. I'm like, yo, what's up, girl? It's not actually what I said. I was like, hello. hello, And uh, she's like, hey, you're from this town, right? I was like, yeah, I'm from this town. She said, you know this guy named Sean? He's called me up to ask, ask me out on a date. I'm like, oh, he's trash. <laughs> Absolute scum. He's a scumbag, right? I wooed her in with my charm and good looks by basically putting the other guy in the dirt and trampling all over him, right? That's what I did. That's just how it went down. And eventually we'd get engaged and, uh, you know, we'd get married. And what she realized was I'm actually not that far of a scumbag removed from this guy Sean, right? Like at every turn along the way, she sees a lot of my goodness. But then there's some, there's some surprise turns along the way where she's like, ooh, I didn't see that temper come out in that arena, Or, I didn't see a lack of self control come out in this space. Oh, I didn't know he yelled at kids that way. (laughs) Right? That is not the way it is with God, John says. There are no hidden surprises in him. His character is pure, it is good, it is right. There are no surprises with him. Pure life and pure goodness is found in him. And so throw the weight of your life in the light of God. That's what he says. That's the blanket that all of this lives underneath, okay? Why is that important? I want you to write these down for two things, because we get it wrong. Number one, we think life is found in the pursuit of self, We think that life is found in the pursuit of self. Look at what he says in verse 6. It's an interesting phrasing that he uses here. He says this. If we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning God, while at the same time we walk in darkness, he says we lie and we do not practice the truth. If we say we walk with him in the light, but we do something different... I say I believe in the light, but yet I continue to walk in darkness. If my words say one thing, but my actions do another, what do we call that? A hypocrite. Literally, somebody that has two faces. I say this, I say this, but then when I leave, I do this. It's an about face, just like that we are living in a world that says, listen, you can say one thing, but you can keep feeding the flesh. You can keep pursuing the things of your flesh. You can keep running after it. You say that you love God, but you're walking in darkness. The light is not actually in you. And when you say that you love God, but you continue to pursue these things, what you're saying is, I'm putting myself over Christ. You know, the currency of our culture is the sufficiency and the satisfaction of self. And I'm a consumer. And if I may be so bold to tell you that the deposits that we make day in and day out are going into an account that are leaving us bankrupt. Bankrupt. A famous theologian and writer, a guy by the name, and pastor, a guy by the name of Eugene Peterson. Some of you guys have read some of his stuff. He's, he's great. He's got some really good things. He wrote a book called Eat This Book. I'm going to I'm gonna read this to you. This is what he noted years and years ago about the culture that we're swimming in right now. He says, we live in an age in which we all have been trained from the cradle to choose for ourselves what is best for us. We have a few years of apprenticeship at this before we're sent out on our own, but the training begins early. By the time we can hold a spoon, we choose between half a dozen cereals for breakfast, ranging from Cheerios to cornflakes. You can tell how old this is, by the way, too, or just how like not cool he is by only eating Cheerios and cornflakes. I mean, come on, cinnamon toast crunch, fruity pebbles, cocoa pebbles. Can I get an amen? Somebody, okay. Cheerios? Who does that? All right. Our tastes. Our inclinations and our appetites are consulted endlessly. We are soon deciding what clothes we will wear and in what style we'll have our hair cut. The options proliferate what TV channels we will view, what courses we're going to take in school, what college we will attend, what courses we're going to sign up for, what model and what color of car we're going to buy, what church we're going to join. We learn early, listen, do not miss this, okay? We learn early with multiple confirmations as we grow older that we have a say in the formation of our lives and within certain bounds, the decisive say. If the culture does a thorough job on us and it turns out it has been mighty effective in its course, we enter adulthood with the working assumption that whatever we need and whatever we want and whatever we feel forms the divine control center of our lives. He would go on to call it the new holy trinity. It's no longer God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but for, for us as the consumer, it's the sovereign self, and expresses itself in the holy needs of self, the holy wants of self, and the holy feelings of self. Think about that for just a minute, okay? They, they put this pool out there that we jump into, y'all, and look, we are swimming in it Every single day, and then they build algorithms to feed it to you in your social media feeds. You see it everywhere, and we don't even know that we are drowning in the world that literally builds up the bank account of self. Now listen, I do not want you to walk out of here and be like, that pastor right there, he told me that I should hate myself. Missed it, Okay. God is not a God that does not want you to be happy. He wants you to rejoice when you make that first sell as a real estate agent. He wants you to love the job that you go to. He wants you to love the cubicle that you sit in. He wants you to love the sports that you play. There's a beauty. Eric Liddell said, God made me fast, and I feel his joy when I run There's something that the father loves about the child loving what he has given them, right? But what happens is this. We've created a world where we consume the created thing and we neglect the love for the creator. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy those things. But listen, we have mistaken them and we have made them our God. And the satisfaction of self is leaving us bankrupt. Man, I remember when I got my first job, I was making like $28,000. I was like, let's go. Anybody? Right? You know, you're like, let's go. And then you got a little bit of a raise. You're like, man, are you kidding me? I am making bank. I'm living the dream. I'm living in this epic apartment. Man, life is good. I can eat Bojangles whenever I want. And then all of a sudden, you get into that next pay grade, and you get in that next pay grade or whatever that is, and it's never enough right? It just leaves you wanting. You want another taste of it. And then when you got that, you want something else. You want something bigger. You want something better. That's me. That's the propensity of my heart. It's the propensity of your heart. But to those of us that have said yes to Jesus, walking in the light, and then gone about the pursuit of self, walking in darkness, we are actually saying to God, true life and joy are found apart from you and in myself. And we'll see why in this next point, why that's so troublesome. Number two, we think life is found in the covering of self. We can fo- this is, now listen, this is the category that my flesh goes into almost by default. Okay, This is the one that I struggle with the most right here. The covering of self. Look what he says in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Y'all listen, covering of self is the natural proclivity of humanity. Go all the way back to the beginning. Humanity made to be in relationship with God and the love of God covers humans. And then when when sin enters the world, what do they realize? They are nudie Judy. And what do they immediately try to do? They run and they hide. Do they make for themselves coverings. They cover themselves with their works. They cover themselves with their abilities. We cover ourselves with our giftings. And then when God shows up and says, where are you? What are you doing? They're hiding and they make for themselves this covering to hide their nakedness. What they're doing is they're actually covering themselves where the love of God was supposed to cover you. Where the love of God was supposed to clothe you fully, we've removed it and we try to cover ourselves, we try to hide our sinfulness. How do we do that? I would say we do it through rules and virtue. Now I love rules, okay? I love rules. Why do I love rules? I'm a parent. I'm a parent of three kids. I'm a parent of three kids that live on the third floor of an apartment with a dog. And without rules, it turns into Lord of the Flies on the third floor at our apartment complex, right? Without rules, listen, without rules in our home, our kids go crazy, and we don't get three noise complaints a month. We get 45 noise complaints a month. Why? Listen, God gave, God gave his people rules, did he not? It's called the law. It's called the law. But you know what God was not surprised by? His people's inability to keep the law. The law was never meant to be the savior. It was meant to show you your desperation for one. I cannot uphold this. I need you to do it for me. Now, y'all have rules in your house, right? Okay, you, you, don't play silly here. I know, you, I know you got them, right? You got them up on this like, really fancy board in your house. You're like, in this house, we do hugs and high fives. We forgive each other. We love unconditionally. Right, family first. You got all those things. It's like super artsy. It's on your shiplap fireplace, right above the mantle. It's right there. It looks awesome. But if you're a parent, you know one thing: that your kids have the ability to keep that rule for how long? Any of those rules for how long? About eight seconds. Long enough to ride a bull. Okay. Long enough. Long, long enough to go. What? Why, why do they have such a hard time following the rules? The same reason that you and I have such a hard time following the rules. Because our hearts are prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. And we try to cover and mask up our sins by being better. By becoming more busy. By becoming busier with religious activity. Y'all, listen, I'm a product of that, okay? I gave my life to Christ in middle school right and i didn't have enough time to like sit back and like evaluate christian church culture i just jumped full throttle in baby okay i had all the t-shirts bench press this the sins of the world the lord's gym right i had them all I jumped in. I was at listen, I was at church before Sunday school even started for accountability group. Then I went to Sunday school class with our youth group. Then I went to big church. I sat in big church. Then I'd throw a little bit of money in the plate every now and again. And then I'd be back on Sunday night for youth group choir. Youth choir. Why? Because your boy could hit a note back in the day. Maybe not. Not not very great, but. And then on Tuesday night, I'd be right back at the church doing what? Tuesday night visitation. Getting busy, doing. Religious activity, trying to hide things, cover up my sins by looking holier than I really am. And then when Wednesday night rolled around, baby, it was big Wednesday night, youth group, and I did it all on repeat, cycle after cycle after cycle. Because I thought that simply being active made me blameless before the Lord. You know what God calls all of that activity? When I look at that activity as my identity, as my source of life, as my source of joy, do you know what God calls that? Rubbish. Filthy rags. My politics can't hide my sin. My religious activity can't hide my sin. It doesn't make me elite. It makes me desperate because those things leave me short of what God really wants for me. They will not be my savior. They cannot be my savior because they are a terrible, terrible, terrible God. And that's exactly where the Lord wants us to be, Desperate, reaching for him, something, someone outside of ourselves. That's what he wants. And God knows the answer to every inclination and desire that you have within yourself. It's not pursuing the love of self, and it's not hiding the sinfulness or the darkness of self. Life is found in dying to self and embracing Jesus. Life is found in dying to self and embracing Jesus. Look at verse 9. He says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I said it last week, I'll say it again this week, because I need to preach this to myself every single day. Confession and repentance should be the mark of every follower of Jesus. It's what started this walk with Christ, and it's what sustained your walk with Jesus every single day. Listen, fear-based repentance, fear-based confession only leaves you feeling terrible about yourself. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that you have one that longs for you to come to him and confess and to repent. The question for the Christian is not, will I sin again, but what will I do when I sin? You can't live a perfect life. You're going to walk out of this door, and you're going to go right back into some of the same struggles that you walked in with. You're going to walk out of here, God is good all the time, right? You're going to be singing your song. You're like, man, God is so good. Yes, Lord, you are the way maker, miracle worker. I experienced the love and the grace of God today, and you're going to walk right back out of those doors, and you're going to go right back into some of the same struggles that you had before you walked in here. Guess what? God's not caught by surprise. And he says, confession says, I'm dying to myself and I am thrusting myself fully into the grace of God daily. See, metanoia means to have a change of mind, right? It says, hey, I made a decision to follow Christ, but when my heart starts to crave these things, confession is, I see it, and now I'm changing my mind about it, and I'm going back to something greater, to someone greater. Y'all, listen, this is huge. This is the gospel. When you look at the book of Leviticus, okay, the book of Leviticus gives you this beautiful, beautiful picture of what is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, okay? You have, the, you have the, um, the one who would go on behalf of the people and he would come in with the lamb for the sacrifice and he would throw his hand on the head of the lamb and he would slit. I don't mean to be like gross here, okay? He would slit the throat of the lamb and the lamb would bleed out and his hand on the head of the lamb says, I am joining in union with the sacrifice of the blood being spilled out on behalf of my people. Do you see the gospel there? Jesus would be the perfect lamb who would be slain. And what God longs for the Christian is this, is that understanding that he is, in chapter 2 he says, he is the propitiation for your sins, meaning he fully absorbed the wrath of God. Throat slit, sacrifice blood poured out. He is the propitiation. That means there's no more wrath for you if you're in Christ. No more wrath for you. Wrath of God fully absorbed in the sacrifice of the lamb. That's why he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. Meaning this, justice means you can't charge the same person, the same crime twice. It's been fully paid for. It's done, completely done. Jesus satisfied the wrath and the justice of God fully. So you know what we can do when we sin? We put our hand back on the head of the lamb. But my heart longs for these things, throw your hand back on the head of the Lamb. But my heart longs for darkness, grab hold of the light. But I think that that can fill me, he says, have a change of mind, confess and repent, and throw your hand back on the head of the Lamb. You see, he's your advocate. He intercedes for us. He he stands between God the Father and us. And he says, oh, I don't advocate for your goodness. I don't advocate for your works righteousness. Father, you can't punish them because you've punished me on their behalf. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The love of self will leave you bankrupt covering himself will leave you flat on your face. But the dying to self, the throwing the hand constantly day in and day out on the head of the lamb, confessing, my heart wants that. Oh, but God, that you would change my heart and I will fully throw my heart fully on the grace of God found in Christ Jesus. I will cling to that day in and day out. What are you pursuing for ultimate joy? What are you pursuing for life? Are you living two-faced life, I say one thing, but I live another. Are you covering yourself with self-righteousness? The Father says, come, throw yourself at the feet of the Lamb and throw your hands on Him and cling to Him for life, for in Him life is found, for the light of God has come, and it illuminates the darkness in this world through our hearts. The hymn writer says it this way, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever pleads for me. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. God longs for you to confess. Confession is not God's wrath, it's his kindness towards us. Would you stop grabbing hold of the things of the world and cling so tightly and so closely to the blood of Christ found at the cross? What are you holding on to? As we close out our time today, wherever you are, I want to invite you to ask the Lord to search your heart to see if there would be any hurtful way in you and that you would, re- you would run from that and you would run to the Father and you would cling to him daily. You would confess and that he would change your mind and ultimately change your heart so that we as a people continue to walk in the light as he is in the light.